Welcome to Delighting in Christ. This week, we're going to see if an angel from heaven can give a different gospel. And we're going to know how Paul feels about the Judaizers who are leading people away from Christ. Thank you for joining with me this week. I am so excited to be back in studio. Last week, I had a little bit of a cough, and so every five or so seconds, I coughed up a lung, and I didn't feel like the listeners would want to hear that. So anyways, thank you for showing up once again to go through the book of Galatians with me. And I got a little bit of feedback from the last episode that I was speaking. Uh, I heard that I was speaking a little bit fast. So I'm going to try to tone it down just a notch for everyone here because it sounded like I was on Adderall or something last time and I was speaking just like way off. So bear with me. This podcasting thing, doing it solo is so new for me and I'm going to just keep trying to come in week in and week out and get better and better and better and better. So, but I want to start off today with some food for thought because my hope and my prayer for this show is that either people will come and grow in their relationship with Christ and have their faith deepened and the people who don't know Christ but are coming here to gain knowledge and who are seeking to know truth, uh, I pray that those people, um, if that's you, would come to repent and believe the gospel. And one of the reasons why I want people to grow, whether it's people who have been mature believers or in the faith for many years or just new believers, is that Romans eight twenty eight through 29 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. That phrase conforms to the image of his son is a very powerful phrase. When we receive Christ through faith and we confess our sins before him, all our sins are forgiven past, present, future. And again, like I said in past episodes, this doesn't mean that we sin that grace may abound, but we're justified and made right with God through faith in Christ. And if we have true and saving faith, we are being conformed to the image of his son daily. In other words, we are becoming and resembling the image of Christ. And you may not be a scholar such as myself, quote unquote scholar. Just so you know, everyone, I do not have schooling, but I am a learner of the Bible and I love to read and study it. And so I don't have a degree in the Bible, but I love to learn it myself. So um, I want to give you 
for those who don't know kind of like the you know the christiany language of conforming well, you know, what does that mean i want to give you an image of what that means to conform to the image of christ so the other day i was sitting on the porch and as I was watching my son play, he plays with his uh, friends across the street a lot. I mean, I'm talking about eight, nine, some, sometimes eight or nine hours a day. I'm not, I'm not even joking on that one. Sometimes, not all the time, but at least a few hours a day. And every time he comes in and out of the yard, he opens and closes our gate. Now, our gate at home is made of two by fours. You know, those two by fours that cost nine bucks. Now... Thank you, pandemic. And uh, just to the left of the bottom of the gate is a little cement slab of concrete that it hits the bottom left of the 2x4 every time it closes. So I noticed while sitting on the the porch one day that that 2x4 at the bottom left was in the exact shape of where it was hitting the concrete the slab of concrete. Now, every time that two by four would hit the concrete, it would scrape away some of the wood. And over a period, I think we've had this fence now for five years, it's pretty much in the grooves of the shape of the concrete. And so in the same way, when we come to Christ and we walk with him on a daily basis, when we put to death the deeds of our bodies, when we take up our cross daily, when we resemble him more and more of who he is. Again, this doesn't mean that we become perfected or another way to put it sinless in this life by any stretch of the means. But those who are truly walking with Jesus will resemble his image more and more over time. So let that be an encouragement for you today, because many times, such as myself, real authentic believers will ask, am I saved? And because, you know, I still struggle and fall. You probably still struggle and fall. If you're you're a Christian, you are in one certain aspect you are justified made right with god while on the other aspect you're still living in this fleshly body that has sin and you're still uh let's see there's that cough that i was talking about you're still uh trying to grow in your relationship to christ and you know you're justified you're made right with god and then there's the process of sanctification becoming more like god And so I just want to say, if you're desiring to grow closer to Christ and become more like him and you hate your sin, I mean, if you love God and you hate your sin and you want to kill your sin, there is no question in my mind from the Bible, if you want to check out Romans 8, 13, that you are in fact a born again believer in Christ and that you do have peace with God as Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So rest in that today, Christian. Rest in God's amazing grace today and know that you're loved by him who called you to be a child of God. Now, let's get back to the book of Galatians. So last 
time, not last week, but last time we saw that Paul was astonished that the Christians in Galatia were quickly deserting Christ and going to basically a works righteous system, a works righteous religion. They were going back to the old ways of Judaism, which means in order to be saved, you had to uh, obey the law of Moses and get circumcised. So let's pick up back up <coughs> in verse eight and nine of chapter one. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And before we dive in, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your amazing grace that people who repent, believe, and trust in you will have everlasting life with you. It's truly the best news ever and help us to not forsake that, Lord. Help us to continue to walk in the path of faith and to continue in fellowship with you, Lord. And I just ask that for everyone, Lord. Um, I just, you know, there is so many false teachers out in our world today and it's not great to get caught up and try to pick out who's the false teacher, who's not the false teacher, Lord, but that we would know your word so that we would know when we can listen to anyone on YouTube, anyone on podcasting, anyone that comes on the pulpit on Sunday, that we know your word in and out so that if someone teaches a false doctrine, we would point it out and either correctly um, show that person why it's false or what have you. But let us be good students of the word and to love it forever, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So this passage that we're going to be going to dive in today is very relevant for our times because we're living in an age, like I said in my prayer, that we can literally be taught any false teaching of the gospel by someone we never met. I mean, you think YouTube, uh, podcasting, all all the mediums, Facebook, whatever you can get the internet from, you can hear a false teacher. And so it's important to recognize and to discern well and to be in our Bibles so that we can know who God, the God of Scripture is, what his character is like, who he is, what, you know, what does he command, what doesn't he command, all that. And, uh, and we know that when, um, you know, certain, there are certain false teachings that people speak about, and it's really just a God made in their own image, and we're going to maybe go back to that later. kind of got screwed up there. But anyways, um, at the beginning of verse 8, Paul says, but even if we, so let's, let's just chew on that phrase for a second, because it's a very important phrase. Who is the we that Paul is talking about? 
Paul is not only including the other apostles and the other people who preach a different gospel. He's not just saying, hey, you know, he's not just pointing the finger at these Judaizers, but he's also saying, hey, if even if myself, even if my apostles preach a different gospel, contrary to the one you were taught, let us be accursed. That's basically what he's saying. He's including himself in verse 8. So Paul is so confident on this knowledge of the true nature of the gospel of Christ that he says, hey, if I or anyone that preaches a new gospel to you, let me be accursed. So, God, grab a drink of water here. Still, my throat is just uh, still a little tingly, so bear with me here, but we're just going to keep trudging through. And so Paul just doesn't say it once, but he says it twice. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary, which contrary just means opposite. Gospel says you're saved by grace alone. Another gospel that the Judaizers are proclaiming is works righteousness. So they're opposite. And Paul was preaching a gospel about faith apart from works of the law while the Judaizers were preaching a gospel requiring to be circumcised, to be saved by obeying the law of Moses. So he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is the first time. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone himself included here based on verse 8 is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received let him be accursed so Paul twice twice he mentions that if someone is preaching a different gospel they are accursed meaning they're under the condemnation of God. They are under his holy and eternal wrath, which is really a frightening thing to think about. And I don't want to take it lightly. I hope other believers don't take this doctrine of the justice and wrath of God lightly because it, uh, as you're going to see it in a little bit here, we're going to know what it means to be eternally condemned by God because this plays a role. It, 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 it's in the verse. I'm not going to talk about hell every time I'm on this podcast, but due to the nature of the context of scripture, I will. And I'm not afraid to share it. I don't care if I don't get listeners. So, uh, and it, but you know, here's the thing is that it's very, I mean, it, this would not fly. This kind of speaking would not fly in a lot, a lot of like modern evangelical churches today. I mean, could you imagine like someone saying, Hey, if anyone preaches the gospel contrary to what you taught, um, let him be accursed. He's under God's condemnation. Because, so we're going to see here in a few minutes, um, because some people think Paul's like malicious in saying that. But I can guarantee you from other parts of scripture that Paul writes, 
Um, I want you to see the heart of Paul and his heart that he has for his fellow Judaizers who, if they are going to die in their sins, if they don't repent and believe in Christ uh, as the only way to be right with God, they will perish. And we're going to see what Paul's heart is on that. So, but before we get to that, let's go back and observe verse verse 8 just for a moment because what Paul says is kind of striking here. It says, but even if we or an angel or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be a curse. <coughs> so Paul not only puts himself and the other apostles or any other for that matter, in this con, in the context of the verse eight and nine, but even an angel from heaven. Now, my question is: Is this possible? Can an angel from heaven preach a different gospel? And I was kind of chewing on it, thinking about it, and I believe the answer from Scripture is yes, so to speak. I don't think an actual angel from heaven now could i i mean i don't know that i mean that could be debated but but what we do know from scripture is that satan or some would say his name lucifer was an angel from heaven at one point in time but he rebelled against god and played a role when adam and eve ate from the forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil 2 Corinthians 11.14 says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. <clears throat> now, I do a lot of evangelism, and I have to be up on the up on the sub uh, Christian cults that are taking place in our country, just kind of to be aware of that, and obviously... Um, Every Christian should be. But one religion that comes to mind when I read this verse actually has always been uh, Mormonism. And so I just want to just give over a, a few brief examples of Mormonism because the, the because there are some people who believe, yeah, Mormons are Christian. Well, um, I want to challenge you on that thinking because... Uh, from what I understand, what I see from the Book of Mormon, from their teachings, they they do not follow the same Christ. So, Mormonism, the founder of Mormonism was Joseph Smith. He was praying to God one day to reveal him the true religion of God to, you know, how to follow God. And out of nowhere appears him an angel, most likely an angel of light from heaven, and forgive me if I'm if I'm wrong on this, but I forget if the angel gave him these gold plates that the Mormons consider the Book of Mormon, or if the angel told him to write out the Book of Mormon on the gold plates, or to find the gold plates somewhere. I I can't remember. Uh, either either case, an angel of light appeared before Joseph Smith and gave him a different gospel. So as Christians, we know that salvation is a gift from God. Ephesians 8, 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it 
is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Ephesians 2, 8, uh, that was 2, 8 and 9. So scripture from the Bible says that we are saved by God through faith and not by works, but that our works are evidence that we are saved. So I always love this example. So think of an apple tree. The apples on the on a tree are an indicator that the tree is alive, right? They're an indicator that the tree is alive and it's fruitful. If you take an apple and tie it to a dead apple tree, that dead apple tree will never become alive through that fruit, right? Rather, the tree is the giver of life. And so for us as Christians, Jesus is the vine and we are the branch. I I can't remember that verse exactly, but God is the giver of life. And if we truly are saved and justified before God, we are going to bear good fruit. And that good fruit is evidence that we are saved, not the means to why we are saved. So coming back to what Mormons believe, this is what their Mormon book teaches in Second Nephi says, for this is what they say, for we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ. So far they're doing pretty good here. And to be reconciled to good. Amen. For we know that it is by gr- the by grace that we are saved. Awesome. I I gotta tell you there. I mean, it, it's just hitting it one one ballpark out of the other, right? Except for the last five words. After all we can do. So we are reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved. After all we can do. Basically meaning you get grace after all the good works you can do. So it is a contrary gospel. And sadly many are being led astray by it. And that's not the only thing Mormonism gets wrong. There's also a lot of other things. A few that I can point out to you is that they also teach that Satan is Jesus' brother and they deny the Trinitarian God. They only believe in uh, one God. Uh, I mean, we believe in one God, but that he has three, uh, one person, three beings. I always get that mixed up. Is it one person, three beings, or three beings? No, it's one being, no, crud. I I get my... (laughs) I'm supposed to be a Bible teacher, I know. Uh, but they don't, they don't believe in the Trinitarian God, is all I'm trying to say. Uh, they also believe that we can actually become God. And way more false doctrine that comes out of that religion that I can give you, uh, but didn't research. And I can probably talk about several hours on it if I really wanted to, but I really don't. So... Those were just a few things that I and we can confidently say Mormons follow a gospel 
contrary to what the actual word of God teaches. They are contrary things. One teaches we are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. (coughs) While Mormonism believes that you're saved after all that you can do. And so I want to read with you 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 6, and I think possibly 12 through 15, because it's so relevant for our day. I mean, just just listen to this. I mean, there are people that I meet sometimes that are like, well, the Bible is not really relevant for our day. It's just a book made 2,000 years ago. Well, uh, I hate to disappoint, but uh, it's wrong. So it may sound like I'm going down too harshly on whether it's Mormons or what they believe and teach or other teachings, but I do want you to know that as a follower of Christ, uh, I'm not here, um, and we're going to see next week or next two weeks, haven't decided if I'm recording next week yet because I'm running a half marathon. Um, We're going to see in verse 10 that Paul wouldn't be a servant of Christ if he was a pleaser of men. So I can't get up here in in this in this podcast form, what you call it, talk about the Bible and just say, well, it's another book. Uh, it's just what we believe and uh, what other people believe. That's right for them. I can't say that. I'm sorry. Uh, actually, I'm not really sorry. I don't know why I said that, but I. I want to proclaim truth because truth is very loving to tell people. I would be very unloving to you and to other people if I were to say, yeah, (coughs) just follow any old teaching, right? So I hope I'm speaking the truth and love. I really hope I am. I don't want to sound condescending or sound like I'm telling other religion or what other people think about other religion that they're just stupid and they're morons and they need to repent and believe like obviously i do want people to repent and believe but i also want to be respectful and and just show people the real truth of the gospel so we're going to read second corinthians 11 verse 1 or second corinthians chapter 11 verse 1 so we're going to go through this so i wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin of Christ to Christ. <clears throat> but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, which one of them is Mormonism, as we previously stated, then the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am the least inferior to these super apostles <clears throat> even if i am unskilled in speaking i am not so in knowledge indeed in every way we have made this plain to you in all things love that in every way we have made this plain to you it is plain in scripture what the gospel is 
And Paul says if he is unskilled in speaking, uh, he's not so in knowledge. There are many false teachers that would deceive people. And in Romans 16, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So just a side note on this. Not only are there other religions that proclaim a false gospel, but there are also big time celebrity pastors that proclaim to be Christians and would consider themselves Protestant evangelicals who are leading people away from Christ by smooth talk and flatterly. <clears throat> and we can get dive a little bit more into that on the next episode um, because I do think that ties into a part of when Paul says, you know, I, I, if I were a police or a man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so I do think um, that smooth talk, that flatterly uh, to deceive people plays a role in that. So, so just because, and one thing I want to say, so just because someone's really good at communicating and you're able to speak well in front of people and it doesn't make them a great pastor, uh, I'm sorry to say, or a Christian for that matter. Paul says, avoid people who teach a different doctrine contrary to the one that he proclaims in the letter to the church in Rome, as well as other letters. We're going to go on to 13 of 2 in Corinthians says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They're literally, they're saying, hey, I'm a believer just like you. I'm a good teacher just like these teachers, but they are disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And then verse 14, and I quoted this verse a little bit ago, and it says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So, and I, I do, I do want to say this because I actually listened to a really good video. It, it, it struck me because there were, it was about this, um, this guy on YouTube. He was talking about false teachers and some, some big name preachers and one of them I listened to a lot and so the guy was <clears throat> he was talking about if this guy that I listened to a lot was a false teacher and so I I don't know I just immediately clicked clicked it and he's going through some stuff with each one of these and he has he had this little white clipboard and he said um, and so he had the first five and then at the sixth one, it was a mystery. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what the mystery one's about. So uh, I watched the one that I, the pastor uh, that I usually listen to on. And then I kind of like skipped through the rest and got to the end. And the mystery one was actually himself. <coughs> so he did this whole video thing on 
these teachers, if you type in their name and then you type F at the end, it will say so-and-so false teacher, so-and-so false teacher. You keep doing that. And he actually did it to himself. He went on YouTube and he said, and then typed in F and said false teacher. And so his whole thing was, (coughs) you know, anyone could get on there and just, you know, say false teacher and anyone can, uh, man, I'd be so blessed enough if uh, I got so popular that people on YouTube were saying I'm a false teacher or people on the podcast were saying I'm a false teacher. So uh, if you're that big and you're recognized on YouTube, I mean, you must be doing pretty good with uh, your YouTube. But it was interesting. At the end, he was saying, you know, even though you... Um, it, and this is kind of what I was getting at to, from the beginning is that we need to know God's word. If we know God's word, we can listen to anybody and we can benefit from the people that we listen to or what they say. And then also uh, we can have a discerning ear to say, you know what? That's not quite correct. So, uh, yeah, it, I, I thought it was a, actually a really brilliant video. I, did, I wish I probably would have listened to it all. But anyways, and his whole point is not that we can't listen to what they have to say, but I mean, we shouldn't listen to them as biblical authority and we shouldn't have. <coughs> and, you know, when we listen at these, I sorry, I botched that one up, but um. But yeah, we uh, when we see these false teachers, like I remember with Mormonism, uh, uh, there was one time where I was evangelizing in in college, and me and my wife, we were out, and we couldn't find anyone that day that would want to speak to us. But then we ran to these Mormons, and we talked with them, and at the end, we prayed with them. And uh, looking back on it now, actually, I would not have prayed with them. I would have prayed for them when I prayed with them because, you know, fellowship meaning that you are in agreement with one another, that you are brother and sister in Christ. And and so, anyways, I went on a little bit of a tangent there. I am sorry. Uh, Just kind of excited about all this. And so let's get back to this. So we're going back to what Corinthians says that for such men were false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. <coughs> Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. So. Again, not that we can't listen to what other people have to say and try to see where they're coming from with their point of view, but we shouldn't listen uh, to them, so to speak, as having biblical authority. Uh, And from what Paul's saying from Romans and this is that we shouldn't even have fellowship with, with them because they do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetite. So all this to say, just be aware, just discern well when you listen and watch pastors on YouTube. And even with me, honestly, even with me, discern. <clears throat> even with me, have a discerning ear because I may screw up and say something wrong. I, I'm i human and I hope you know that. Uh, 
So don't, again, don't take my word for anything, but just keep looking at the Bible. And so it's the only way you're going to be able to discern well if you know the written word of God. So if you get anything from this today, study God's word in and out, meditate on it day and night, and ask God to open your eyes to see the truth, the truth, Christ, to see him as precious, as beautiful as your Lord and Savior. Now we're getting into 35 minutes here. I've been rambling on a little bit. So we're going to try to go through some stuff because this last part, um, is going to be a little bit more real, and you'll see why. So lastly, how does Paul feel about these Judaizers who, if they don't repent and have faith in Christ, will be accursed? How does Paul feel about his fellow kinsmen who are proclaiming a false gospel and leading people away from the risen Christ? And <coughs> like I've said before, some people look at these verses that he just said, say, dude, that guy's malicious. Like, really, people are uh, going to be accursed if they preach a false gospel and be in hell for eternity. Is that what you're saying, Paul? Yeah, that, that's what he's saying. There's no getting around that. Um, uh, yeah. So, we're going to look at a few... Uh, uh, verses in Romans and Philippians to see kind of where the the heart of Paul is because it it'll greatly convict you. Trust me, because from what I see throughout Paul's letters is that he's not even close to being happy that they are going to be accursed if they die if they were to die following this doctrine of heresy. And so I'm going to show you that. From Romans 10, 1, Philippians 3, and lastly, Romans 9, 3, and you'll see why. <coughs> I kind of jumped around there. So let's read. Romans 10, 1. He, he goes, brothers, speaking to the Roman church here, or the church in Rome. It says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved Paul's heart desire is that they may be rescued from the wrath of God. There's one. In Philippians 3, 17 through 18, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul weeps for the people who are deserting Christ, telling the church in Philby in tears because he knows about the horror of God's wrath. <coughs> and by the way, hell is nothing to make light, light of or joke about. I even get convicted sometimes anymore of saying hell is a curse word. I'm an evangelist. I go out and I preach the gospel every week to people who are perishing. It's not a joke. It's not a cuss word that we should be using as flippant in my mind. Jesus spoke about hell the most in all the Bible. 
out of all the people combined he spoke about it the most. Wasn't his only topic, but he did speak about it a lot. It's not a place where people go and get drunk and hang out with their buddies. If you want to know the reality of hell, and there are many um, uh, ideas of what hell is, there's annihilationism, there is the purgatory, there is um, a few others. Annihilationism is just your you're just gone you either you're unconscious but again it's what does scripture say about it because that's what matters that is the ultimate source of where we get to what hell is like and so i want to give you some verses throughout uh the new testament and i think one verse in the old testament i can't remember <coughs> <coughs> So here's the description of what hell's like. Matthew 18, 12, or 8, 12. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 42. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 15. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth luke 16 23 through 24 and in hades being in torment he lifted up his eyes this is talking about the uh the rich king uh that was cast into hell and he saw abraham far off and and lazarus at his side and he called out father abraham have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. He was so thirsty that just a little drop off the finger would quench his thirst. Isaiah thirty-three fourteen. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? And finally, Revelation 20:15, but there's more if uh, you look them up. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Therefore, the description of hell based on these verses is a place of outer darkness, a weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of being in torment, flames of consuming fire, everlasting burnings, lake of fire. This isn't something to take lightly of. This is a place where you are going. This isn't a place where you're going to hang out with your cool rock star buddies and drink beer and have sex with women. This is a place of eternal, everlasting torment. One million years is going to go by and still you, if you die in your sins, if I die in my sins, whoever dies in their sins will be there forever. One million years goes by, you haven't even scraped the surface. 
The reason I bring this up is because what Paul says in Romans 9.3 is so astonishing beyond belief that I have never personally met a believer. (coughs) Well, maybe I have, but it's hard to find these kind of believers who have this conviction about the lost, who have this conviction about the people who are perishing, about this conviction about people's fellow kinsmen that are being lost and led astray and eventually die in their sins and be under the judgment of God. We have seen from Paul that his heart's desire is for the Judaizers to be saved and that he weeps because he knows they'll end up in eternity in hell. And now this is what he says he would do if he could. Romans 9.3 says this. I want you to just take a moment for this. For I, Paul, could wish... I myself were accursed. The same word he used in Galatians 8 and 9. He says, I myself were cursed. I wish that I were accursed and what? Cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. (coughs) Paul, for the sake of his fellow Jews, would wish to perish in hell for all eternity that they may be saved. He'd wish to be apart from God forever in eternal torment, eternal weeping, eternal flames and fire that never ends all for the sake of his fellow Jews who are following a false gospel and leading people away from the true gospel. That's the heart of Paul. That's the heart of the apostle when we read Galatians 1, 6 through 9. So if you think he's being malicious and excited that these people are going to be a curse and get what they deserve because they're leading people away from Christ. Because let me tell you, I don't see that in Paul's writings. He had wished that he himself were a curse on their behalf in order that they may be saved. That's what the Apostles Paul's heart is at. <clears throat> Sorry, this is a touchy subject for me. It's bringing out passion in me, really. But one of my favorite pe- preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said this, and this is where we're going to get to the crux of the application of the show now. <clears throat> <clears throat> he says this, Charles Spurgeon, Have you no wish for others to be saved? then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. If you have no heart for the lost and don't give a rip about those who who goes where, be sure that you're not saved yourself. God's heart throughout the whole Bible is to call sinners to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God doesn't want people to perish. That's not his heart. Jesus died for the sins of the world that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. And if we 
are Christians, if we have been born again, if we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, and if God's Spirit lives in us, we should have the desire for people to come to Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow. We want to long for people to repent and believe. Now, that doesn't mean if we don't witness all the time to every single soul that we see or meet that we don't care. No, that's not what I'm saying. And again, we are human. We can't reach everyone. But really, where where is our heart when we think about people standing before God on Judgment Day? You know, if I'm honest, if I'm honest, even though for a few hours a week in Friendship Square I witness to people and share the good news, I often feel like I'm there to check a box off my list for the week for my Christian duties. Uh, though I'm kind of convinced in script from reading more of the Bible that till the day I die I will never have one pure motive for from my sinful flesh. So every week that I go out, I really ask God and say, hey, give me a heart like the Apostle Paul here. I did it today when a few of us gathered to go reach the people uh, in the city of Moscow. Whether it was handing out tracts or or asking people what do they think about after they die. And I really ask to give me that heart to to love them and to share with them the good news. I don't want to just check a Christian box, but actually care and listen to people. And I want to talk and to know that they're, because I know that they're going to stand before a holy God one day. And so I hope you don't hear me say that if you don't witness every day or witness to everyone you come into contact with that you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. But my point is that where you where is your heart for the lost <coughs> where is your heart for the people who are perishing or going to perish do you care about people who don't know Christ my challenge this week for you and I is to come to the lord and ask him to give us a heart for people who are lost and are going to perish if they die in their sins and to give a little practicality to it because I just don't want to leave you here with that. And I'm like, what I do? I don't know where to start. Here's the thing. Start by just go at to livingwaters.com. Go buy yourself a $6 of gospel tracks. You can get a hundred dollars or you can get a hundred gospel tracks for $6. I would, uh, buy a good one, a million dollar bill gospel track. Put it in your car console. And every time you pump gas, which is probably once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, whatever. When you go pump gas, take one out. Pray to God. Ask, say, hey, bring the right person to this pump. You care about the lost perishing. Bring that person to Jesus, Lord. Put it in the little debit card thingy holder, whatever you put the debit card to, you know, pay with and just leave it there. You don't have to interact with anybody. You don't have to make anything awkward. You just go get your gas, put it in. Boom. You're done. 
and just keep doing that. That's what I do. Um, as well as each week I go out and evangelize um, most of the time. But you don't have to uh, evangelize every week like I do. But I will say you do have to care for the lost. You do <coughs> need to have a heart for the lost. It's not an option as a Christian. So I uh, just want to give you some pointers there and... I'm coming up on 51 minutes, so. And you may think, well, gospel tracks, they don't really work. I mean, it's all about relationships, right? I don't want to sound condescending or sound like I think people are stupid when saying that. I really don't. But I've heard enough stories to know that gospel tracks are effective. I'm not saying that we should stop relationships or stop talking to people, but all I'm saying is gospel tracks are effective. <coughs> Witnessing to people on the streets and talking to them with about eternal things is effective. I've seen the videos. I've done the research. It's effective. George Whitfield, one of the greatest preachers of the Great Awakening, preached 18,000 open-air sermons, he was saved through a gospel track. One of my good friends who I'd done evangelism with, he was saved through a gospel track that he found underneath a McDonald's uh, table while he was working. There's other people who have found a gospel track in the ocean and they were saved. There's other people who have been on the street, got handed a gospel track by this guy in Sydney, Australia, in George Street, and he led many people to Christ because he pre he talked with 10 people a day for 30 or 40 years, okay? Like, talking with people on the streets, gospel tracks, they work. It's not just so... Just wanted to throw that out there because there's a very big stigma in the church right now that says, oh, that, is, that stuff is old school. We need to build relationships for five years and then we can get to the gospel. I'm sorry to say, but 150,000 people a day die. And many of those 150,000 people a day that die make plans for tomorrow, for next week. Okay, so yes, build relationships, but don't take two, three, four years to share the gospel. You can build a relationship in two minutes and share the gospel. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I definitely make mistakes. I definitely don't share the gospel as much as I should, but I want to get better at it. So let's just keep that. <coughs> oh man, can't wait till this cough's gone. So let's just keep that as forefront of our minds to ask God to give us that heart that the Apostle Paul has, that the heart of God has, so that we can be effective witnesses and build the kingdom of God. So also, for next week, I want you to ponder this. Maybe not next week, week after. I want you to ponder this. One of my goals is to try to come up with questions that people may think about as they listen. So the question is on the agenda for the first part of next week's episode. You may be asking yourself, if the Christians in Galatia are fully justified by faith, 
and are saved, how can they be accursed if they follow this false teaching? And that is a question I hope to answer biblically next week. So let's pray. Father, give us hearts as Christians to be more to be able more and more to seek and save that which is lost to show and proclaim the gospel of Christ that we can't save people but that your gospel can <clears throat> Paul says in Romans 1 Lord that he's not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God the gospel is literally power and when we proclaim it your word will not return void so please, God, help us to reach out to the people around us, even though it may be the most uncomfortable thing to ever do. And also help those of us who constantly are wondering if we're saved because we do see all the shortcomings in our lives and that we don't measure up to your standards. Help us to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, what a joy the Son of God had by enduring the cross and taking the punishment for our sins, Lord. Thank you so much. And thank you that we're made right with you through him. Let us not forget that, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. And with that, guys, thank you for listening. Uh, it is an honor and a blessing to be able to teach the Word of God to you. Um, I hope that you know where my heart is and my love and passion for scriptures and my love and passion to serve God is and my love and passion to love you guys. Though I am a sinner who still needs a Savior every single solitary moment of my life and so rejoice in christ today and so until next time god willing god bless and peace be with you <laughs>